listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, outstanding reporter for us here at ESPN and ESPN.com and ESPN Deportes. She is Marley Rivera. Hey, Marley, how are you? Hi, Larry. Thank you so much for having me. So good to hear you. It's good to hear you as well. Marley, let's start off where we started the show off, and that's uh, Buster Oley's yes. story about the possibility of no penalty for Houston. Now, you were <laughs> you were in Houston <laughs> uh, pinning the Houston owner up against the wall, <laughs> question-wise, that is. Uh, what's your thoughts when you hear about that? That Here's a situation where $5 million is not, not a bad price to uh, cheat your way to a championship. Well, one of the things that happens here, and, and it's Larry, it's an interesting dichotomy what's happening here, right? Because one of the things that the players – Union, right? The MLBPA, it's, you know, fought very strongly with MOB into their, you know, preliminary agreement that our colleague Jeff Passon reported is that this season has to count for service time, which means that whether we have a season in 2020 or not, a regular season is going to count as service time, which means it's a season. So this is one of those kind of results, right? Of the fact that if it, if it is a season and they were suspended for a season, then that's exactly what happens. So it is the recognition, right, of the fact that if we're going to consider this a season of service time and we're going to consider the regular season, right, like the fact that Nolan Arenado or, you know, guys like Nolan Arenado, Francisco Lindor, are going to be free agents in 2021, whether they play a single day this year or not, then that's exactly what's happening with Lunau and with A.J. Hinch. They were penalized for a season, and they will, you know, whether it gets played or not, it counts. Yeah, it, it, it's just interesting. And Marley, yeah, it is um, super interesting. <laughs> Molly, what's going on with this? What is the great secret about the, about the Boston Red Sox penalty? I mean, it's been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I mean, what did we find out? They all did it? I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's one of the two, right, Larry? And, of course, we've talked to a lot of our sources at MOB. And one of the things that we hear, right, is that there isn't going to be very much that they've found. And one of the things that have happened is because – a lot of the players of the Red Sox obviously heard right about the investigation with the Astros and all the players then were given full immunity so they would cooperate with MLB. So now at this point, the, the Red Sox, whether they did something or not, and certainly I know nothing about this, right? Like I'm not claiming that I do, but like one of the, whether they did something or not, there, it is not in their best interest to speak. So then it is one of those things that, you know, if they speak, then what? Like, what are they going to benefit from at this point, right? It's only going to be bad for the team if there is something or, you know, further penalties for Alex Cora. As we, as we know, we're still waiting on that. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And obviously, Larry, the distraction with MLB with this terrible uh, pandemic of the coronavirus, it really is their focus is on that. It almost seems like they're going to be seen as callous if they sort of focus on anything else except having a regular MLB season at some point, which obviously is what everyone hopes. But certainly, I mean, we're sort of really tired. It's been months. We know the investigation and everything that was released by The Athletic was back in November of last year. So, you know, at this point, we're just waiting all these months. And, you know, we may even start or not start a season and still not have a result. So we've heard from other people that the investigation is done, that everything they're sort of waiting for is the right time to release it. But then when it's going to be the right time, nobody knows. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Marley Rivera's my yeah. guest. All right, Marley. Now you spoke to 15 Major League Baseball team managers, including yeah. Aaron Boone and, and uh, Luis Rojas. I'm a Mets fan, so I'm going to start with Luis Rojas. 
<laughs> Please do. <laughs> executive privilege. What is your feeling from him? How are the players talking about him? I'm hearing glowing things about him. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that's happening here, you know, Luis is, is, a, is very well-known in the Mets organization, Larry, like you well know. He has worked with these guys, right? He has worked in the minors for a really long time, which is why he was thought of as the perfect replacement, right? After Carlos Beltran, you know, it's pretty much fired or, you know, obligated to quit after the scandal related to the trash banging of the Astros, right? So then at this point, when Luis takes over for this job, he's a very well-known guy amongst all these guys, especially some of the, you know, your Mets players that can be a little bit more difficult to deal with. And Luis has been very, very used to dealing with them. And what I heard from him, and one of the things that the Mets are doing, which is really kind of interesting, they're kind of in the forefront of, like, technology. And they're doing a lot of those Zoom meetings, and it's constant sort of what, you know, what Luis is doing. But also, they created plans for players, like, very specific for every one of the players, independently of what kind of access they had, whether they had access to weights or workout spaces, or, you know, whether you could throw ground balls, whether you could throw a ball against a wall. So it's been really interesting how the Mets were very, very detailed in that process with their performance group. So this just shows, you know, that, that Luis really, really knows this team, and he really knows what they're doing. So I think that he has been in touch with these players who really love him and respect him. And, if, you know, if, if the Mets players are going to be Come through this whole process, it really has a lot to do with Rojas. Marley, you and I both know that there's an interesting <laughs> relationship with guys when they were not the boss and they moved yes. into the boss's position. So that would be the one concern I would have because yes. athletes, players just don't look at you the same way. They tend to look at you as the way you were, not who you are. Absolutely. It's one of those things that we also talk about, you know, just to, you know, take off a little bit of hot water from Luis Rojas. The same thing that happened with David Ross, you know, right? It's like one of those things that he is so close to all the Chicago Cubs players. I mean, he basically retired the other day, right, after they won the World Series in 2016. So this is something really interesting, the fact that David Ross is there, right? And it's also these guys, he is going to be coaching some of his teammates. So it certainly is one of those moments where you go, well, can they take over that sort of role, right? We're not buddies anymore, right? We have, you know, I'm in a position of leadership to tell you what to do. And that can be very, very difficult, right? But one of the things that Rojas has, and I have noticed this in my conversations with him, is that he's very good at delegating. And I think he's really, really good at empowering his coaches. And I think that's going to be key for him. He is surrounded by really kind of people that have veterans in MLB, right, and people who really know what they're doing, including Omar Minaya. So I think that's really going to help him too. He's not a guy who feels like he needs to take over and be in charge completely. I think he's one of those guys who really is going to work as a team. Now, you had a chance to chat with Aaron Boone, and obviously Aaron Boone is in a spot where (laughs) – you know, Marley, he's expected to go to the World Series. I mean, whenever yes, whenever the season starts, it's a failure if he doesn't get to the World Series because of the talent they had. They went out and spent money in Garrett Cole. Uh, what was his conversation like as far as, you know, team communication and, and dealing with and having players' concerns? I feel that Aaron was one of those guys, and I talked, you mentioned 15. I actually talked to about 20. We just got 15 on the record. Some of the other guys didn't really want to want to go on the record. And he was one of the guys who really felt pretty confident about the amount of conversations and kind of contact that he has had with his team. And it's one of those things that it's almost, there's a relaxed aspect that Boone has brought to this organization that has been very nice for all these players. 
and they really know each other very well. And it's almost like they don't need to keep tabs on each other in order to know what they have to do. As we know, the Yankees were the only team who voted unanimously to all of them stay down in Tampa, even after, right, March 13th, when everything, when, when spring training was suspended. Now we know that has changed because obviously not only two minor leaguers in the Yankee system tested positive for coronavirus, but also because we know the recommendations now of the Center for Disease Control and all the changes that have happened, right? Like this isn't anything you need to play about. You can't have, you know, groups of more than 10 people. And really the recommendation is that you stay home. So most of those players have followed suit and have done that, right? But this is a team that is really well-connected, and that's what I felt from Boone. I mean, this is the guy that every once in a while, because now Garrett Cole, the $324 million man, is his neighbor in Connecticut, right? So he goes over to Greenwich, you know, they're right there in Greenwich, and he goes over and plays catch with Garrett Cole. And this is one of those things that he has this connection with his players they have this level of respect for him, and there's a relaxation aspect that Aaron had on the phone that I really admired. Ah, that's interesting. Of the managers mm-hmm. you spoke to on and off the record, Marley, how many of them <laughs> were uh, confident there would be a 2020 season, were kind yeah. of iffy that it would be a, a shortened season? And I'm curious, what would the playoffs look like? It's, uh, that's one of the most interesting uh, questions, right? I have to say, Larry, most of them sounded very hopeful. I think that most of them also admitted that there's a possibility that there's no season. It's not like they have blinders on it. Not at any point are they not realizing the seriousness of the situation. They're not diminishing how important this is. And obviously, we all know that one of the considerations that is happening right now is that if we do have baseball and some of the dates that have been thrown around are the month of July. Obviously, we still don't know. But if that's possible, then maybe games will start with no fans, right? So one of those things, that's kind of where they are all. They're all very hopeful that we can do this, but they're also some of them, especially especially some of them that are married, like one of the, one of the managers is married to, to a, a Chris Woodard. is actually married to a nurse. And, it's a, and, and he speaks about his concerns. Right, the health concerns at this point with just what's going on in our nation. So it's very interesting that they're so kind of plugged in with the information, but at the same time, while you're fearful, right, because you really get worried not only about your players, but about your fans gathering 45,000 people in a stadium in the, you know, after hopefully we flatten the curve with this pandemic. But at the same time, you want to remain hopeful for your players and you want to tell them that you have to continue to train and stay fit and stay, you know, hopeful all the time that we will have a season. So it was this balance of really reality, right, what we're seeing every day and what we're seeing how everything changes, right, 24 hours, 40 hours from now, we could think differently, but they are also, most of them, really, really hopeful. Marley Rivera is my guest. Marley, in the players that you had a chance to speak with, how are they dealing with the uncertainty? Because they're such creatures of habit. They they know what they go in. They go in a certain time, hit the batting cage, fielding, come back home, get back, go do the same thing over and over again. How are they dealing with the uncertainty of a start time? And how long do they think it'll take for them to get what? To get ready? No, it's so it's so hard for them, Larry. I, I actually had the opportunity to speak both to Felix Hernandez and Carlos Santana today. And we were exchanging messages. Carlos and I spoke on on uh, FaceTime, actually, a little bit. And one of the things that we were saying that they're telling me is, like, these guys have spent, you know, 15 years, right? Of their, uh, We know this is Felix's 15th season. Carlos Santana, including the minors, 15 years in baseball, and it's the first time, right, that they are at home. 
And it's funny because I actually thought, because I heard this from other veteran players, I actually thought that veteran players would have it easier, right? These are the guys who really know their routine. Maybe they will appreciate a little bit more time at home with their children, which they usually don't get. And it's been quite the opposite. I thought the young guys were the ones who were going to be like, oh, my God, desperate, right? Because there are a lot of guys who even need a job that don't know if they're going to have one if we even have a season. But at the same time, these guys that are the creatures of habit, like you correctly mentioned, they're going crazy. And one of the things that they are talking about is constantly being in touch with each other and supporting each other. Like Carlos Santana told me, he reaches out to Jose Bautista, who's his friend, obviously former player, and Edwin Encarnacion on a daily basis. Like they feel that they need to still have this connection and they're constantly kind of texting with their teammates. And that's the only way they can keep it together, Larry, because it really isn't easy. How much time they'll need, it's going to be interesting. Kind of, you know, especially the managers talked about pitchers will probably need three or four weeks, right, to build up. And we're not talking about a pitcher that is going to be able to throw seven innings, right, at the beginning of the season. Maybe to get up to four or five innings, you're going to need at least four weeks of build up. So I think that's probably the minimum that they will need to get ready. And it's going to be interesting because in a weird way, I know that everyone thinks that pitching is how difficult it is and keeping your arm, you know, kind of in shape and with the right amount of stress as you head into a season and building it up. Like we always hear that. But what about position players that have nowhere to take ground balls or people that don't have cages? So it's going to be interesting how that shortened, you know, spring training is going to affect the regular season, and, and hopefully it doesn't lead to a lot of injuries. Hopefully it doesn't lead to a lot of injuries. And, Marley, they're going to yeah. have to consider lead, uh, extending the rosters because you're going to need yeah. more pitchers. You can't have just a, 10, 11 pitchers, you know, in the middle of the season. You're not going to have rainouts. You're possibly going to have double headers, maybe the second game of seven innings. You're going to have to expand yeah. these rosters. Absolutely. And one of the things that they've come to agreement, right, like the Players Association and MOB, is that the rosters will be at least 29 players. So that's automatically going to be a benefit. Now, if we really think about it, right, it was going to be 26 this year. So the addition of three additional players, it doesn't seem that significant. But you just said precisely, right, most teams carry 11, 12 pitchers. For these additional three positions, we really expect them all to be pitchers. Right? You're going to need these 15 pitchers at least in your roster because you just mentioned it, Larry. If the, the numbers that we're throwing around that are being thrown around of 120-game season or 140-game season, for that to happen in a shortened period of time and just for randomly picking a date, let's pick uh, the month of July, it's going to require a lot of doubleheaders. Right? There's going to be at least once a week, just mathematically, if you're going to play up until the last week of November, which is sort of what they're trying to figure out at this point if we have a season. So absolutely, you need to save the bodies of these players, right? like these guys. But one of the things that is going to be interesting is how do you save the bodies of the players? Like, Let's say it's, uh, it's September at this point, and the New York Mets right, are in the hunt, and they're really doing really well, and it's sort of midseason, and you have a doubleheader. You're not going to play your best players in the two, in both of them. You're not going to play McNeil. You're not going to play Rosario in both games. Like, it really just makes no sense because you always put out there your best team, right? Like, your best lineup if you want to win and you want to be in the hunt. So it's going to be interesting what happens, you know, in this sort of shortened season that is going to require so many games a week. You know, we're talking about eight, nine games a week. 
Yeah, it's 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 gonna be fascinating. <laughs> it really is, Marley. Last thing, and thanks for a couple of minutes. We're so oh, my immersed in COVID nineteen here, and and the fatalities, yeah. and the so many of the testing and the issues of ventilators and PPEs and stuff like that. Oh. Um, what? How has COVID nineteen affected the Latin countries with the Latin players? How are they? How are they dealing with that? Some of them are here, obviously in the states, wondering what's going on with their with their families uh, in in Latin America. Yeah. It, and Larry, what, the interesting thing about that is that it's got a different, a lot of different aspects, right? Uh, the, the majority, well, quote unquote majority, but the the foreign country with the most players in the majors is the Dominican Republic, right? They had they were the first foreign country to have over 100 players in 40 man rosters to start the season, and that happened last year. A lot of the Dominican guys have gone home. Because a lot of them, you know, don't have permanent homes here in the U.S. Some of the established ones, right, the millionaires do, but the rest of them don't. So a lot of them went back home because the numbers of the COVID-19 spread in some of the Caribbean countries, as as of right now, are a little bit lower, right, than in the U.S. It doesn't mean that it's not going to go higher. We know that things change very quickly. But at this point, the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico, for example, are both, even though Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, and, and it's considered, you know, quote unquote, not a foreign country. But then at the same time, they're kind of relaxed at home. The main problem that I have seen is with the guys, not only the Latin guys, also the Asian guys that are not able to go back to their countries. And that specifically is the Venezuelan guys, Larry. We know that there's a huge, you know, social and political crisis in Venezuela. So on top of the COVID-19, this is a country that has been dealing basically with, you know, civil war. And it's been just kind of terrible what's going on there. And they really can't go back. And those guys, the teams have had to take care of them. They've had to put them up in apartments and in hotels. So not only do they cannot, you know, they have to stay, quote unquote, at home. They don't really have a home. You know, their home is a hotel room. Their home is, you know, somebody else's house. Their home is a rented apartment. So it's going to be really hard for these guys, especially the ones in the minors, right, who cannot go home. And that's been so hard for them to be in communication with their families and, and Venezuela that is just going through such a tough time. Dominican guys, Puerto Rican guys, a little bit easier. Really tough for the Korean guys and the Japanese guys. As you know, Larry, we learned today that Masahiro Tanaka chose to go back mm-hmm. to Japan, right, and he's going to stay there. So it's been really, really hard for these guys that don't have a home in the U.S. So um, we'll see what happens. We'll see also with the travel issues, right? We'll see if they're even let, you know, let back in the country. I mean, this could even happen, you know, with guys who live in Toronto. So it's going to be interesting what happens in terms of the government laws, and you know, flying into the U.S. from different countries. But most of their concerns, like you mentioned, is with their families. And, and everything that's going on in Venezuela, on top now of the considerations of COVID-19, it just really is a crisis and just the number one thing you know, that all these players are thinking about. Marley, thanks for checking in. Great reporting as always. Oh. And, uh, we'll it's my pleasure, you. Larry. Thank you so much. You know, thanks stay again. safe at home. You too. <laughs> Thank you. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.